Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. All right, welcome to another edition of Investing Compass. So before we get into it, as we've said before, we have a competition where you can win a subscription to Morningstar Premium. And once again, this competition ends on the 15th of March, and it's easy. All you have to do is go in, rate the podcast, leave a comment on the podcast, and send the podcast comment to me. So my email address is in the show notes. So all you need to do is that, and we will pull a winner that gets a free subscription to Morningstar Premium, which includes a subscription to ShareSite, and it's valued at $649. So it's a good competition, right, Shani? It is, yeah. All right. Thank you for agreeing with me. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is a bit of a controversial topic, and it's really split investors into three camps. There are those that are fiercely for it, like the producer of this podcast, Will. There are those that are fiercely against it. And then there are those that don't really understand it and haven't given it much thought. So a little bit of history. So in 2017, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said that he would fire any employee trading Bitcoin for being stupid. And as somebody who has been threatened to be fired for being stupid, this obviously <laughs> resonated with me. Now, since that happened, Jamie backtracked on his opinion on Bitcoin and then backtracked again. So he's more indecisive than Shawnee trying to pick a true crime documentary that she wants to watch because she loves them all so much. But while Jamie Dimon has gone back and forth, there are a lot of fans of cryptocurrency, which would simply put out that since Jamie made that original statement in September 2017, Bitcoin has gone from $4,600 for one Bitcoin to $46,000 in mid-January of this year. So today, we're not going to tell you which camp we're sitting in or tell you whether you should buy or sell. We've designed this episode for the third camp who doesn't really know much about Bitcoin other than the headlines. So we're going to go through what Bitcoin is, where it came from and its mechanics, and then we're going to put it into the context, into the context of an investment. So hopefully this will leave you more informed to make a decision for yourselves as to whether it plays a part in your portfolio. So let's start with what it is. This is constantly one of the top questions that are entered into Google. And one of the most humorous answers we've heard was a popular tweet. Imagine if keeping your car idling 24-7 produced solved Sudokus, which you could trade for heroin. Well, we'll dive a little bit deeper than that. So Bitcoin's a cryptocurrency, which is a digital currency. And what that means is that there's no physical representation of it. So there's no coins or notes or certificates. It exists purely online. Bitcoin is not the only cryptocurrency, but it is the most popular and the, and the largest. So there are other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Ripple, all cryptocurrencies that have grown in popularity, but none have matched the rise of Bitcoin. One of the questions we get on almost every webinar that we do is about Bitcoin, whether you should invest in it, whether it's safe, and what it actually is. So we're going to focus just on Bitcoin today. 
So Bitcoin was created in 2009 by someone or a group of people whose identity is still unknown. So without this physical currency, Bitcoin is tracked on a ledger where it is bought and sold. And this ledger is known as blockchain. And that underlying technology of blockchain is important and has a lot of practical uses. Blockchain is a distributed ledger and a distributed ledger is a database that's consensually shared across multiple sites institutions or geographies and is accessible by multiple people this allows transactions to have public witnesses all right so let's get back let's go back in history and look at the whole point of a ledger and every time i talk about history it elicits eye rolls from shawnee but let's talk about a ledger so ledgers were actually invented in ancient mesopotamia on clay tablets and quantities of items are recorded with a picture of the item and dots indicating the quantity. So these tablets were stored in temples for safekeeping, which were the banks of the time. So there are two important parts of this ledger system that existed from the beginning. Transactions were recorded, which facilitated commerce, and they were safely stored. So there would be a record of that transaction. And that is blockchain, a series of blocks in the chain that represent transactions. And the chain is distributed, which provides safety because it can be everywhere on all sorts of different networks. So the fact that there are public witnesses and the technology does not allow previous blocks to be altered, and this makes it safe. Let's turn our attention back to Bitcoin. When you buy or sell Bitcoin, it's done completely anonymously, with the ledger only showing an ID that connects to your cryptocurrency wallet. That's where you store all your Bitcoin. The anonymity of Bitcoin, especially in its early years, was what many people found appealing. Untraceable transactions and the ability to acquire goods and services anonymously. Yeah, so Bitcoin was created with a purpose, and the purpose was to create a currency where third-party intermediaries, like banks, for example, did not impose the significant fees that they pass on to consumers. And the other reason it was created was because of mistrust in the banking system. So Tanto Santoshi Nakamoto, which is the alias given to the person or persons that created Bitcoin, has said that it was trying to fix a root problem in conventional currency, and that was trust. So that's trust that central banks would not debase the currency, trust that banks would be responsible custodians of our money. So as you can probably figure out, Santoshi is not a fan of banks. And he said, banks must be trusted to hold our money and transfer it electronically, but they lend it out in waves of credit bubbles with barely a fraction in reserve. So in short, an alternative currency that is not centralized or regulated. And there are a few ways to buy Bitcoin. And the first is to buy on an exchange. Bitcoin exchanges allow you to go in with practically any currency, so you can go in with Aussie dollars and exchange it for Bitcoin. The second is that you can have Bitcoin transferred to you for a good or service. For example, Sequoia Capital, one of the most well-known venture capital firms in the world, they announced that in late January, they've started offering the option for employees to receive part of their salary in Bitcoin, essentially exchanging their services for Bitcoin. The last is Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining is when people are solving complex mathematical problems that are required to maintain the ledger of transactions between buyers and sellers of Bitcoin. Yeah, and these mathematical problems verify the legitimacy of Bitcoin transactions. So when that transaction gets audited and verified, it gets added to the block along with the other approved transactions. Once again, these blocks then form a blockchain. So these mathematical problems are extremely complex, and they are mainly solved through specialist computers and electronic equipment, which narrows the scope of availability of people that can be miners. However, it does yield rewards. So Bitcoin miners receive Bitcoin for their efforts in maintaining the ledger, 
when they complete blocks of verified transactions that are then added to the blockchain. The degree of how rewarding it has been has diminished over time. There are only 21 million Bitcoin, so it's finite. Almost 18.5 million of these are already in circulation, so that leaves only 2.5 million left to be mined. So when this reward for Bitcoin mining was first introduced, miners were rewarded with 50 Bitcoin for every one megabyte of transactions. Now, in 2021, it's 6.25 Bitcoin. In the future, every four years, the reward halves until there's no Bitcoin left to mine. And as the amount of computing power needed to create Bitcoin has increased, the more electricity needed to mine it. The amount of electricity that is currently being used to mine Bitcoin has been estimated as enough to power all of Ireland. All right, so that's how you buy it or acquire it. But let's take a step back from Bitcoin for a minute and talk about investing because this is an investing podcast. So Ben Graham was a man that literally wrote the textbook on investing, and he wrote security analysis and later the intelligent investor based on his observations from the stock market crash in 1929, which preceded and then led to the Great Depression. And this is, of course, where many Bitcoin investors, including Will, start rolling their eyes as I use a long dead investor to try and put Bitcoin in perspective. But Ben Graham spent some time talking about the difference between speculation and investing. And he has a pretty famous quote that says, you must never delude yourself into thinking that you're investing when you're speculating. So the difference between these two activities is simple. An investor looks at a stock for example, as part of a business and the stockholder as the owner of the business, while the speculator views himself as playing with expensive pieces of paper with no intrinsic value. So for the speculator, value is only determined by what someone else will pay for the asset. So let's look at Bitcoin within this investing in speculation contrast. So by Ben Graham's definition, buying Bitcoin is pure speculation as the price of Bitcoin is entirely derived by investor interest. So unlike real estate investing or equities where there's an underlying business or asset, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general isn't linked to any tangible assets. There are no underlying cash flows that are generated and there are no underlying assets. The entire value is based on people believing it has value and driving the price up because there's limited supply. So in other words, this investment is driven by herd mentality. We've seen how prices have soared recently with Bitcoin as more and more people pile their money into it. And this is herd mentality and describes behavior in which people act the same way or adopt similar behaviors to those that are, they are surrounded by. In terms of an investment, one perspective is that this is not such a bad thing. Global adoption of Bitcoin is accelerating. One of the most popular cryptocurrency wallets named blockchain shows an increase of 43 million to over 62 million wallets over the course of 2020. For an asset that derives its value from demand but has limited supply, this is promising. All right, so let's let's look at traditional currencies, also known as fiat currencies, and they have barriers and large expenses to transact across borders in an efficient and timely manner. So through a global transaction network, Bitcoin can be sent securely across borders without the need for third-party intermediaries or any large costs. Markets and economies are incredibly interconnected as it is, and it stands to reason that this trend will continue. An alternative to the friction and costs of the traditional currency may have a larger role to play in the future. So on top of this, more and more merchants are now accepting Bitcoin, and the increase in active wallets is only making it more attractive to merchants to offer the feature. And with more merchants offering the feature, it becomes more attractive to hold Bitcoin. And so the cycle continues. 
And lastly, it's proven a lot of critics wrong. So for the last 11 years, there's been countless proclamations that Bitcoin is dead and it plunges and that any plunge would result in it being devalued to the point of irrelevance. So it is plowed back from all of these lows and it's reached new heights at each turn, albeit with plenty of volatility. It has provided handsome returns for early and late investors alike and the best and it was the best performing asset in 2020. So both Mark and I don't invest in Bitcoin, so we're speaking as outsiders for this point of view. We did, though, speak to Will, who records and produces our podcast, who's been an investor in Bitcoin since 2013. So he's been jumping in and out of the market since then, but he says that the catalyst for first investing was learning about the technology behind it. He said that fundamentally, if you break Bitcoin down into its simplest form, it's a transfer of value between two parties without an intermediary, and its value that can be used, its value can be used around the world. For Will, this was pretty powerful. He saw the potential in this, and he thinks Bitcoin could cause mass disruption. He likened it to investing in the internet back in 1997. Back then, it would have obviously been hard to foresee where it would end up and how it's changed the world, but believes that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency have this type of limitless potential that will change the world in a similar way. He's also grown more confident as time has gone on, saying as an investor, he's gotten more comfortable as he sees the capabilities, technologies, and services mature, becoming more and more legitimate. So I also asked him about the lack of regulation, and Will doesn't think that it's as unregulated as most of us think. He points towards tax law and the fact that he's taxed on his gains for Bitcoin. He also pointed towards trading Bitcoin on an exchange, where you have to provide the same KYC and points of ID that you would in equity. Ultimately, he likened it to going to an ATM, pulling out $100, and spending it on whatever you want. That transaction in most cases can't be traced back to you, and this is the case with Bitcoin also. Just like the internet, Will foresees that regulations will have to adapt for Bitcoin, as they have already started to do. Yeah, and so Will has a couple of tips for investors that are considering Bitcoin. The first is that it is extremely volatile. If you're unable to stomach this volatility, this is not the investment for you. And the second is understanding fundamentally that the value of Bitcoin is not when you view it as a commodity, but viewing it as a disruptive technology, understanding the potential that it has to change the world. When you view it in in this way, the volatility doesn't impact you as much. Now, let's move on to the bad news or why you wouldn't invest and choose to park your money somewhere else. As we said earlier, Bitcoin produces no earnings. It also pays no dividends. It pays no interest. What this means that if you invest in Bitcoin, you're betting on price appreciation alone and nothing else. When we look at other assets, we have real estate, and real estate can appreciate or depreciate in price, but at the same time, you generate an income from the rent that you receive. The same goes for bonds. Bonds pay you back with an original investment plus interest. And of course, we've spoken about equities before, but when you buy them, you're purchasing a share of a company. As a partial owner of that company, you're entitled to a portion of any profits that it generates, whether that's in the form of dividends or if it's reinvested back into the company for further growth. When you invest in Bitcoin without this price appreciation, you're likely to experience negative real returns. To avoid this, Bitcoin has to appreciate at the rate of inflation, or at least at the rate of inflation, as well as any transaction costs that you incur. So Bitcoin is not offering the opportunity to generate cash or investment income, and relying on price appreciation can be unreliable, especially when you have set financial goals you're tracking against. Yeah, and the fact that there are no cash flows means that putting money into Bitcoin is entirely speculative. You're not basing the decision to invest in a belief in the underlying assets because there are none. 
It's equivalent to any currency that you would make. It's a mechanism to exchange value and doesn't really act like an investment. All right. So, Shawnee, you talked about currency. So let's compare Bitcoin to a currency because that was the whole point of it, to create a new currency. So currency was originally created to facilitate the exchange of goods and services. And in order to play that role, a couple of things needed to happen. It needed to be secure. So people need to be confident that it is real. Um, so that certainly moves to counterfeiting. Um, but in this case, of course, Bitcoin checks the box. It needs to be scarce. So based on the laws of supply and demand, anything both in demand and scarce will ultimately keep its value. Therefore, to hold purchasing power, money also needs to be scarce. Now, earlier we talked about the scarcity of Bitcoin as it's limited to 21 million coins. Now, another reason that Bitcoin was invented was a lack of trust in central banks and their management of the money supply. And the money supply has historically been expanded pretty significantly, especially recently. And general, that manifests itself in inflation, which is one of our main drivers of not holding cash. So a couple points to add here. In response to economic calamities like the COVID crisis and the GFC, which was when Bitcoin was invented, central banks generally will expand the money supply. The one counterpoint I would add is that central bank policies have worked and have smoothed out the business cycle. So we can look back to the Great Depression when the money supply was not expanded as an example in the other direction. So the last thing a currency needs is to be trusted and widely accepted. This is where we run into some issues with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is accepted by some people as a median of exchange, but at this point, it's not even close to being widely accepted. If you want to buy anything with your Bitcoin, you need to exchange it for a currency and then go and buy something. And this is where we need to talk about the dark underbelly of Bitcoin. And there's nobody better to talk about the dark underbelly of anything than Mark. <laughs> yeah, me, because I sit around and I watch things on serial killers all night. But uh, anyway, we mentioned before that Bitcoin is completely anonymous, and that does make it perfect for facilitating illicit activities. So there have been countless studies of how much Bitcoin activity is, in fact, used for legal services like a ransomware attack and drug dealing. And the surveys all list different percentages. But one risk is that a government or governments will decide to try to shut down Bitcoin. Now, governments can't literally shut it down because... It's everywhere and it's outside of government control, but they can restrict banks and other financial services institutions from having anything to do with Bitcoin. And that would impact its ability to be trusted and widely accepted. And these fears were fanned recently during Janet Yellen's confirmation hearing as Biden's Treasury Secretary. So the former head of the Fed responded to a question on cryptocurrencies by saying, cryptocurrencies are a particular concern. I think many are used, at least in a transaction sense, mainly for illicit financing. And she went on to say that she wanted to examine ways in which we can curtail their use and make sure that money laundering does not occur through those channels. A best case scenario for Bitcoin is that it becomes a bit like gold. Gold has been a store of value for thousands of years and is considered a safe haven. Gold has limited real world use with a price that is driven by investors. Bitcoin is similar, but unlike gold, it is more convenient and it's favored by younger investors. All right. So I had to talk about the dark underbelly of Bitcoin. Why don't you tell us about some other risks, Shani? How about volatility? Yeah. So Bitcoin is extremely volatile. 
the price is constantly changing and is extremely unpredictable. Of course, the same thing can be said of equity markets, but comparatively, volatility in the equity markets can be likened to a ripple compared to a wave. This is not ideal for many investors, especially those who need to realize their gains in the short to medium term. And for those who are investing for the long term, Bitcoin is completely unregulated. Over a long time horizon, if anything were to go wrong, you would have no legal protection at all. This is not as uncommon as people think. Bitcoin is extremely lucrative and being completely digital means that it can be subject to hacking. This leaves you completely open to theft, fraud or malpractice. All right. So back to volatility. So with Bitcoin, 5 to 10% price changes on a single day are not uncommon. So investors that are relying completely on price appreciation, this can add a lot of uncertainty to your investment portfolio, especially if it makes up a noteworthy allocation. And there's a big chance of this. Millennials are investing in Bitcoin more than any other generation. At the end of 2019, so a little bit dated, a survey by the Independent Reserve Index showed that 17% of Australians own cryptocurrency, and 39% of those Aussies were millennials. It also shows that adults aged 44 or younger, half of them will own Bitcoin by 2024. And there are a few reasons why younger generations seem to invest more in this cryptocurrency. The first is that it's virtual, and they tend to be more comfortable with this. The second is that they are willing to take on more risk. With younger investors pushing money into cryptocurrency with relatively small, smaller balances and older counterparts, it stands to reason it's making up a larger portion of their portfolios. And we mentioned before that Bitcoin is unregulated. There are a few things worrying about this for investors. Bitcoin suffers from additional security issues compared to stocks, bonds, and real estate. The first is that because it's online, like we mentioned, it can be subject to fraud and theft. And if this happens, you have no legal avenues to pursue. The second is that if you're storing your Bitcoin on a local server, it may be subject to imperfect software or bugs, resulting in the loss of your investment with a chance that it's irretrievable. Yeah. And and the last problem is, of course, human fault. How many times have you lost a password to something online and you simply had to click forget password? Well, the avenues for a forgotten password with many of the cryptocurrency wallets are limited or non-existent. So this is Stefan Thomas's plight. He is a San Francisco, a guy that lives in San Francisco who invested in 7,000 bitcoins in 2012. And now they're worth more than $250 million. Like a lot of us and what we're told not to do, he wrote his password down, but he lost the piece of paper it was written on. He has two more attempts to try to enter a password and then his Bitcoin wallet will never be able to be accessed and he will lose $250 million. So it's a pretty sad story. And although this might not be the case for a lot of cryptocurrency wallets, it just proves the point of how unregulated Bitcoin is. Could you ever imagine a bank turning you away and not letting you access your money because you lost your password on your online banking account? So let's sum up. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that started in 2009. Cryptocurrency has been gaining in popularity, offering an alternative to centralized currencies, giving rise to illegal activities and speculative traders. And the difference between a speculative trader and an investor is pretty simple. An investor looks at an investment like equities as the owner of the business. A speculator views himself as playing with expensive pieces of paper with no intrinsic value. For the speculator, value is only determined by what someone is willing to pay for the asset. Bitcoin has no underlying value, and that is what makes it speculative. It is based purely on demand and limited supply. Bitcoin's rise has been meteoric. It has risen from 4,600 to a high of 52,000 in early January and has now come down to around 40,000 at the time we're recording this episode. 
It is an extremely volatile investment. And lastly, it's unregulated. And this means that there are more than a few ways to lose your money. It can be due to loss of value, but it could also be due to fraud, misplaced passwords, and theft. However, it does allow owners to move money with relatively low barriers across borders, something that is tedious and expensive to do with traditional currency. Considering the interwovenness of our economies, this could be a catalyst for growth and efficient trade. So this is normally the part where we talk about the Morningstar guide that covers something we talked about. <laughs> but uh, there is no Morningstar guide to Bitcoin. Maybe Will will write one for us, um, which would be nice to make sure that Shani and I do not write every single guide. But thank you guys for listening. We hope you learned something about Bitcoin today and we put it into a little bit of context. Once again, please rate and leave a comment on our podcast and send those comments into my email address, which is found in the show notes, and you could win a free subscription to Morningstar Premium, where you can read all of the guides that Shani wrote you so you can learn about something and you can re- read mine before bed to put you to sleep. So thank you guys very much for joining. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.